0: Welcome to The Shadows of Jesus, a Redeemer Community Church podcast. My name is Jeff Martin, and um, I'm co-hosting this podcast with the one and only... Bill Jolly. Bill Jolly. Well, this year we are reading through the whole Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, and the goal of this podcast is to serve as a resource to come alongside our reading plan. And so we've got a reading plan that we're following, and every week we're going to release a new episode where we'll introduce the books that we're in. We'll answer some of the common questions that arise as you're doing a Bible reading plan with the text that we're going through. But most importantly, we want to show you how everything from Genesis to Revelation is pointing to Jesus. In the Old Testament, you'll see shadows of Jesus, hence the name of our podcast. In the New Testament, it becomes way more explicit, but we're going to keep the name for simplicity's sake. But Bill, any any opening thoughts before we jump into Genesis 1-11 through 11 today?
1: Yeah, I was thinking, um, so this past year we spent time reading through the whole New Testament, and we finished up, though, with reading Luke's Gospel that took us all the way up to Christmas. And when I got to Luke 24, and you see Jesus on the road to Emmaus with those two disciples— and they're you know talking about everything that's going on, and, and it says that while they're there, it says that he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So it's like he walked back through the whole Old Testament and showed them, here's where all the shadows of Jesus are. And then I love later on when they're talking about how what that experience was like of of thinking through the whole Old Testament and and thinking about how it all points to Jesus, they said, were our hearts not burning within us. yeah, And that, that, would, that would be our prayer for everybody that's part of this reading plan and this podcast that, as you see Jesus pointed out and how he appears through uh, the shadows in the Old Testament, that we'd find our hearts burning within us and really coming alive spiritually because of what's happening with, uh, with what we're reading. Yeah,
0: that's good. And so as we do Bible reading, sometimes we do quality. We jump in, we're going verse by verse, we're slowing things down. Sometimes we do quantity where we're going through bigger chunks. And so obviously with the style that you're going with, it's going to allow for more in-depth or less in-depth study. Um, but I know that it's sometimes people feel like, okay, a Bible reading plan feels a little bit legalistic. It's almost like your checkbox Christianity, and Mm -hmm. and because of that, it's almost like we've swung the pendulum away from from Bible reading, and so um, I don't want us to be legalistic about it. I don't want us to think that this Bible reading plan makes us more holy if we do it or less holy if we don't, Mm -hmm. Um, but I think you can't get away from the fact that some of the greatest theologians, pastors, preachers, missionaries, um, servants of Christ all had in common a deep devotion to God's word. I mean, just recently we got to listen to Wayne Grudem speak and here's a guy 74 who's had impact on the global church and who one of the people said, you know, he's the type of guy that in 300 years historians will write of his impact on the global mm-hmm. church. And and if there's one thing he could pay for to the next generation, he said it would be a, a love for God's word. Mm-hmm. Um, I was recently reading a book by RT Kendall and he was talking about the importance of having a plan to be in God's word. And then mentioned that, you know, the Holy spirit wrote, God's word. And so that makes sense that you experience that burning within if, yes. if we're reading something and the spirit within us is stirred. He's helping us to understand it. Um, and so as we jump in as you guys are reading through the scriptures, um as you mentioned in our trailer, it's a supernatural experience. That's right. And uh, and what I love about this is when you binge watch something on Amazon Prime or Netflix or Disney Plus, um, the Holy Spirit's not showing up in that moment to help you decipher, to understand, and to impact your life. But when we open up God's Word, the Holy Spirit shows up in a different way. And so we're, we're expectant that God's going to do some yeah. cool things.
1: Yeah, that's right. And it is. I mean, this is, last year we did a chapter a day, five days a week. This is a lot more that we're going to be reading. Um, and I think, and like we said, it's not legalistic. If you get behind, you know, you can jump forward and just catch up with us. But also, I wanted to encourage people to be free to use the audio versions of the Bible, if you have version on your phone, that app, you can pick whatever your translation is, and most of them have an audio version, and you can just listen to it, and that can be extremely powerful, uh, and things will jump out to you that you might even miss sometimes when you're reading, but listen to God's Word, and you can do that on a walk or on your commute. Working into different parts of your day, but so you can have that freedom uh, as we're going through this. Yeah,
0: obviously there's different styles. I, I like to have a Bible in hand with a pen. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a listener, I, I, I track better with the pen. But there's no right or way, right, right or wrong way to do it. Just yeah. do it. So, yeah. And if you get if you get behind, I'd much rather you just jump ahead than try to get caught up. Mm-hmm. Um, you're much more likely to stick with us if you just jump to where we are than try to read 39 chapters in a day. Yeah. So. Well, let's jump into Genesis. Right. So the beginning. All okay. right. Genesis is about beginnings. It tells us that God created everything that exists. It shows us how God is both the creator and the ruler of all creation. But it also tells of humanity's tragic fall into sin and death. And then it shows us God's unfolding plan of redemption through his covenant with Abraham and his descendants. And so some of the common questions as you're getting into a book is, is who wrote it? And so traditionally, both with Judaism and Christianity, it's understood that Moses has been the author of the first five books of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, the Deuteronomy does close with Moses' death, in which he couldn't have written. So was he the only author? Um, we would say he was the vast majority of of these books are written by Moses. Um, who's it written to? It's written to God's people, which we're included in through Jesus. What's it about? Well, it's written to us. It's for us, but it's not primarily about us. It's primarily about God, who he is, what he's done and what he's promised to do. And then the the final question that we want to ask is, well, how should we read Genesis? And so, um, obviously we're reading, um, an ancient Near Eastern text, not a, not a Western traditional text. And so there's going to be a different literary style to that. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to say, let's read scripture literarily, not literally. Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is, is that there are different genres. And so in Genesis, we're going to find different genres. We'll find, Um, narrative. We'll find poetry. We'll find genealogies. We'll find more. And so we want to make sure that we're reading scripture with an understanding of what type of genre is it. And that Mm -hmm. might help us a little bit to understand from a different perspective of what's going on. Um, So how does it break down? Um, It has main parts, major sections, and minor sections. So the two main parts are Genesis 1 through 11, which is God calling creation into existence, and then chapters 12 through 50, which is God calling his people into a relationship. So we could divide Genesis down the middle, chapters 1 through 11, 12 through through 50. Then there are major sections and minor sections within those main parts. And so all of these major sections and minor sections begin with the phrase, these are the generations. So if you're reading through like I do with the Bible in hand and a pen... I underlined that. Whenever right. it says these are the generations, so you'll see
1: that phrase. About 10 times in there. You'll
0: right? see it in 2, 4, 6, 9, 11, 27, 25, 19, and 37, 2. Those are all major sections, which 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. All right. And then you'll see minor sections also with that phrase, and that's 5, 1, 10, 1, 11, 10, 25, 12, and 36, 1, which is 10 times. you math magician wizard. Boom. Yeah, so 10 times you'll see that breaking down major sections and minor sections. So as we're going through chapters one through 11, you'll see three major sections, two, four, six, nine, and 1127. And then you'll also see three minor sections and five, one, 10, one, and 11, 10. So let's jump in. Um, We'll talk about chapters one through two, three. And so um, some of the the big takeaways. Um, So some of the big takeaways for me, is that Genesis is more concerned with God as the creator than it's concerned about the details of creation. Yeah. And so I think it, like Genesis wasn't written to be a science textbook. Right. And so we're not looking for Genesis saying, like, what scientific information can this give us? But it mm. is telling us that God is the creator. So I don't want us to miss that point. And then within God being the creator, we see that he intentionally created everything there is. So there, there wasn't chance. Um, everything that he did was orderly, and everything that he did was good. And so any, any, uh, any major part takeaways? Of, yeah, I
1: think uh, you know it's, it's good for those of you that have kids, um, as you read through the Bible with them, their observations and their questions always pop up, and they really help you to get, I think, a lot of times to the core of what is being said there. And I can remember reading this with my kids and talking about it, and, and as we say, well, why do we worship God? And first and foremost, it's because he's our creator. Mm-hmm. Because he created us, that's why we worship him. Yeah. And so there's like that fundamental understanding. He's our creator, and so we worship him. I think the other thing that, that jumps out too, when you, you look at, at Genesis and you see the, the beauty of creation and the diversity and the variety, and we experience that every time that we go out into creation, and, and we wonder, why does it have this power? Why? What? Ha- when I go up on Roan Mountain, when I go out to the lake, when I'm fishing, or when I'm you know just sitting in the backyard, maybe somebody's working in their garden, and they're, and we're interacting with creation. There's something, you know, special about that, and it's because it's tied right into this first story, this first you know creation of everything, and we're connecting with God. So we see that happening.
0: Yeah, yeah. love it. And I think throughout the whole Bible, we want to keep in mind He's the Creator we the creation. Yeah. And that understanding is so huge and understanding, especially when you get to things you don't like about scripture Right. <laughs> to, to be reminded of. He's the creator word of the creation. But um, yeah. So in verses three through 31, um, the, the literary genre we see is poetry. Mm-hmm. And so it's really poetic. And so it's, it's a poetic way of communicating a literal truth. And so I love it. If, if you're just to line up day one, two, and three on the left side of a piece of paper, and then days four, five, and six on the right side of the paper, you'd see how they're, how they're poetically connected to each other and parallel each other. And so day one, God creates light and dark. Then on day four, kind of paralleling that he fills the light and the dark with the sun, the moon, and the stars. In day two, God separates the sky and the water. And then on the right side of that column, paralleling that is day five, where he fills the sky with birds and the water with fish. Then day three, God separates the dry land from the water. Then on day six, he fills the dry land with animals and man. And so I, just, I love that poetry. Um, and sometimes people can look at that and go, well, obviously this, this creation account must be allegorical because it's poetic. But I would say, no, it's 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 poetic, but it's telling us, a literal truth, but with that idea of it, could it be allegorical or is there other theories of creation? One of the common questions that people have is what, what's the Christian view of creation? Is there, is there a Christian view that we have to hold to, to be Christian? And, and obviously there's, there's multiple views of that. And so Bill, what, what are some, what are some views that you've, that you've heard of or that you're aware of that, that you could inform yeah. the audience of?
1: Sure. So yeah, when you, and when you're looking at it, um, you know, one of the things I used to, uh, teach uh, British literature, and uh, lots of poetry in there. And so I love poetry. And, um, and when you think about the way that God works, he's a poet. Um, and it, but the cool thing is that he, he writes his poetry with reality itself. And so in poetry, where you have things that are aligned together to, you know, to emphasize a certain point, he can do that with reality and with miracles or with do things that normally would not you know, function within the realm of normal um, science, but because he's God, he can put them wherever he wants them and make them work together in a cosmic poem, and it is reality. And so I think that's helpful to think when you think about the interplay between science and between you know, what we're reading in the scriptural account and, and the poetic nature of Genesis, that God's a poet and he can actually make poems from reality itself. Yeah. Uh, so, any, so there's you know, the common views. Uh, there's the old earth, uh, which would say when it says it's, it's a day, it's not referring to a literal 24-hour day, but to a long period of time. And, and that, so the earth could be 4.5 billion years old. Um, and so commonly as people hold to an old earth view, uh, they would also hold to theistic evolution, where God guides evolution as his means for creation. That would be one view.
0: Yeah. And so when I was in high school, I remember um, hearing different views and going, I like that view because it, it made me feel like, okay, I can have an intelligent conversation um, with people who aren't Christians and make sense of the world. And so I, I was a old earth theistic evolutionist. I went to college and I was a marketing major, but I, like a not so smart person Um, instead of taking fun electives, like bodybuilding or scuba diving, I was like, I'm going to take some biology classes as elective. So Mm -hmm. I took like biology, biology of animals Mm -hmm. um, as an elective course to try to better understand this stuff. And so, um, so I came out of college still holding to that theistic evolution position. And it was about 2007 um, after a year of, Deeper theological theological studies, specifically through the Book of Romans, that I changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but for for most of my Christian life, my yeah. earlier years, that's where I would have landed. Interesting. Um, so I started off old Earth. Um, another view is is young Earth and young humanity, mm-hmm. and so that would say no, the day is a literal twenty four hour period, and the universe is about ten thousand years old, mm-hmm. and so that's where um, a lot of people from my seminary landed was. Mm-hmm was young earth, young humanity. And um, then you have gap theory. And so gap theory is basically there's a huge gap between verse one and verse two. And, and, and in that gap, we make sense of all the fossil records. And the problem with that is like it, there's death because there's fossils buried in this in the soil in the rocks um, before the fall. And so that doesn't really compute very well. But um, where I, where I land today is what's called old earth, young humanity. And so that's where God created, um, what God created in verse one mm-hmm. existed for an undisclosed period of time. And so so that could be a moment. It, it could be a billion years. You know, who, who knows how long that is. But what existed was uninhabitable. So it's different than the gap theory because there's not life happening and fossils being created. It's literally, there's, there's an uninhabitable land. And so when the original audience would have read this idea of, of nothingness, they wouldn't have thought of like just black space, you know. Mm-hmm. Like they would have thought of the desert, mm-hmm. you know. That that Tovu Vohu, like yeah, it's a wasteland. It's it's like uninhabitable, like. W- and so, I think there was something there that was uninhabitable, and was it a moment? Was it billions of years? I don't know. But there was something there, yeah. and then starting in verse two, I believe that God um, creates in six literal twenty-four hour days. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that's kind of, that's where I land today. But the, the beautiful thing is, is like, um, I think that there's, there's every view seems to be held accountable to something Mm -hmm. that doesn't make full sense, you know? Mm -hmm. So whether you're allegorical or young earth, new earth, old earth gap, like whatever theistic evolution, every view is held accountable to something. And so for me, I'm going to hold this in an open hand. I'm not going to say there's a Christian view that you have Mm -hmm. to hold, Mm -hmm. um, where I do think we have to hold, yeah, the, it comes to the point of were Adam and Eve the first human beings.
1: Yeah. were they literal people? Yeah, were they were they, they really literal people the
0: or, were they, or were they just literary devices and poetic images? And so so what are your thoughts on that? If someone asked the question, do we do we yeah. have to believe that they're real?
1: Yeah, I think that's the that is one of the most important things that you have to say that you, that you have when you're reading Genesis. Uh, and because when you read the rest of scripture, Adam and Eve are always treated as if they are um, they're literal people and, I, and I, there are good people that, that think otherwise that have read that and feel like they're representative of humankind. I think Francis Collins um, is, is in that camp in theistic evolution. Um, but I think when you read you know the way that Jesus talks about them, uh, Adam and Eve, and especially when Paul talks about Adam uh, and his sin that you just have to read it he was a real person this really happened. And that's where the fall comes from.
0: Yeah, and that's what, I mean, I, we just went through the book of Luke, as you mentioned earlier, and even the genealogy in Luke directly yeah. connects Jesus to Adam, mm-hmm. not as a, a, a allegorical person, a metaphorical yeah. person, but as a, a real person. Like yeah. I said, if you look at Matthew 19.4, if you look at Mark 10.6, um, Jesus talks of them as being real people. And then that's where I changed from a theistic evolutionist Mm. love Francis Collins with his fine tuning of the universe. I mean, wow, right. that's that's like, so I, I love his mind. But when I got to Romans five and six, I couldn't get past it um, without landing that Adam was real. Um, in the same way that one person brought sin into the world, one real person took sin away in Jesus Christ. And so without Adam and Eve, the Bible loses its basis for the fall, sin, the need for redemption and our need for Jesus's atonement. So, so, um, yeah. Do Christians believe that they're not real people? Yes, but
1: it's more well, consistent trying, with, yeah, with well, what we I'll, read throughout Scripture. I
0: would <laughs> say like they're wrong,
1: <laughs> and, and write about <laughs> but, a lot of other things. Yeah, but it's, you know, yeah, not yeah. everybody's so, got it all. So, so, so. their <laughs>
0: their salvation hinges more than they realize on them being a real person. It doesn't mean that their their wrongness has not caused them not to be saved. But I would say their salvation hinges on them being real people, and they just don't realize the the full extent yeah. of that so yeah. yeah any other any other thoughts before yeah, we jump into chapter chapter two?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's too when you look at Genesis and, and it's it's a narrative and and we think of the whole Bible as we're reading through it this year that it is it's a narrative, and there's a there's a meta narrative that's going on, this bigger story that's being told through all this smaller stories and that that meta narrative has those four key moments in it. The first one that we've just talked about of creation. And now we're going to go into the next big chapter of the fall. And then we'll see the other two chapters unfolding yeah. uh, from here, uh, from there. So I think that's that's what you are going to go into here with chapter two. Yeah,
0: so we'll, we'll go chapter two, verse four, through chapter four through 26. Mm-hmm. So in chapter two, the author zooms in on day six and gives us more details on God's creation of Adam and Eve as God's unique image bearers. And one of the big takeaways is that they had no shame because there was no sin. But in chapter three, everything changes. Sin enters into the world. And as a a result, shame comes over Adam and Eve. And so the consequence of sin is death, both physical and spiritual. So spiritually, they're, they're separated from God. And he has to remove them from the Garden of Eden. And then physically, while they don't immediately die, they will now one day die. But we do see God giving them better clothes to cover their shame than fig leaves. So that when they're hiding, like they've covered themselves in fig leaves. And so God gives them better clothes, but what does he clothe them, clothe them with what type
1: of animal skin? Animal so skin? An animal has to die An innocent yeah. life. is And taken. so,
0: so I think if you, if you look at the literary device, um, the way, the way that kind of ancient Near Eastern literature works, a lot of times you'll, you'll see, um, you'll see the structure where it kind of has like verses paralleling each other and working towards a central theme. And Uh so the central theme is, is no shame. Like we were not created to carry shame, Mm -hmm. but leading that way, we see that the consequence of sin is that we now have shame. Mm -hmm. And we also see that God's desire is to take that shame away. Mm -hmm. And the way that he takes it away is, and now he's covering it through the death of something in their place. Mm -hmm. But that kind of points us, we'll get to this later, to a shadow of Jesus um, of how he's not just going to cover shame, but he's going to take it away. Yeah, um, but when we, don't, we don't get too much into the shadows just yet. All right. So chapter four, we see how sin entering the world sets a trajectory of things progressively getting worse and worse, specifically with Adam and Eve's sons, um, Cain, killing Abel. And a common question is like, why like why did God regard Abel's offering, um, have regard for Abel's offering, but not Cain's? Yeah, and so thankfully, the book of Hebrews, so scripture, a lot yeah. of times as you get questions, mm-hmm. the Bible intends for you to keep reading. And so right. sometimes you keep reading and you get the answers. And so obviously it's a long time until we get the answer for this, but Abel's gift was from a thankful heart. And so what he gave to God, he expected nothing in return. He loved God for God. Because mm-hmm. God's creator, He's creation, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But Cain's gift was tra- a transactional heart, and so he expected God to honor his gift with greater blessings. Mm-hmm. So he gave, being like, "Well, if I give him this, like, then maybe he'll give me something better back." Mm-hmm. Um, and so he didn't love God for God; he loved God for what God could give him. And so, mm-hmm. so the reason why. Abel's gift was accepted and celebrated because it was from a thankful heart. The reason why Cain's offer was rejected is because it was from mm-hmm. a transactional heart.
1: Yeah, and I'm, It's interesting to me that there's a, I, there's a theme throughout Scripture of worship, and because uh, you see, these guys were worshiping. This was their form of worship and offering sacrifice yeah. to God, that which is a you know that carries all the way through the Bible, all the way to Revelation, where every knee will bow and every tongue confess and worship Jesus. And so, it, it, to me, it's it's always jumped out that this first conflict was actually in the it was about worship and about yeah. how this you know one brother was offering his his heart, his life to God, and the other brother was trying to manipulate. God yeah and um, and that this the importance of the type of heart that we bring to God in worship and you see that here in the, the very you know very beginning and the, the first conflict that we see here
0: yeah and that's I mean, we'll get and I love you know something that the old rabbis would practice is you know Midrash and they would mm-hmm. they would try to see connections mm-hmm. and um, and so one of the ways that, that, that they see connection is through Cain and Abel in the book of Job. And so in the book of Job, Satan's accusation is no human loves you for you, God. They only love you for what you can give, mm-hmm. which is exactly the heart of Cain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so his accusation is not just against Job, it's against all of humanity. And so God goes, well, let me give you my best. Because mm-hmm. if my best fails at this, then like all humanity fails the test. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the whole test of Job is like, do you love God for God? Mm-hmm. Um, but I love it it's kind of picking up on yeah, he, this theme. And so I, I love seeing like so as we go through the Bible, we we're gonna do our best to help you see connectors. these kind of connective points yeah. throughout scripture, which is a beautiful thing, but but also would love for you to develop that skill as well. Yeah, so good. Yeah, so um after chapter four, we get to chapters five through nine. Mm-hmm. And so from Adam to Noah, corruption on earth just continues to get worse and worse. Then in chapter six, we have a some really fun questions. Like one, who are the sons of God? Um, and so uh, there's some different thoughts on this. Some people would say they're the godly line or the descendants of Seth. So after Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve have another kid, Seth. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so they're like, well, this is the descendants of Seth who are marrying women from the ungodly line of Cain. So Cain's lineage is corrupt. Seth's Lineage is not, but now we see them intermarrying, and so those are the sons of God. That's that's one, right. one theory. Um, another
1: theory is that they were angels that came down, that they were uh, potentially that they were you know demons that came and somehow were able to um, mate with yeah fallen angels
0: that were hooking up yeah, with human women
1: yeah and producing this unusual offspring
0: yeah and then some would say that they're they're just heroic kings of other nations. That 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 people had such high status as great king, great leaders, great warriors that people are like they're yeah. the sons of God. So
1: what do you think? What do you? Th-
0: <laughs> um, so, <laughs> what what I want to believe is that they're the godly line or the descendants of Seth uh-huh. marrying the ungodly line of Cain. <laughs> I think the best scholarship points to angels.
1: I know um, it's so weird. So that's just a. Yeah, so we get I'm, mulligans I'm, for our reading through Genesis. Do we just get to say this is just a weird thing that's there? Yeah. So, what about you? Um, yeah, I I like to th- I want to think of it that they were well when I think of their descendants that these were like strong uh, heroic guys that were able to just do you know doing amazing things. Um, but I've been as you know you can YouTube this one and go down this rabbit hole and and there are plenty of people that would say yeah somehow this happened and hopefully it never happens again so yeah. strange part genesis is a weird book you got to be okay with that yeah
0: so um so another question is comes up is like can anyone live longer than 120 years like is this where we get that like is this does god put a cap at this point point? Mm-hmm. 120 years that's that's bust um no one's gonna live past that and then you're like well does this person live longer than that does that mean the bible's false Um, and so it is curious that people don't seem to live past 120, but then every once in a while there's like this person did it. And they're like, well, is their birth certificate real or, or legit? Mm -hmm. But I I think what's going on here is the 120 years is referring to the gap between when God said he judged the world through a flood and when the flood actually occurred. And so, so I think that God had 120 years of patience (laughs) and mercy and showing grace on people until the flood came. So, so, do people live past one hundred twenty? Doesn't seem that way, um, but I think what he's talking about with one hundred twenty years in in these chapters is referring to the gap between when God said He would judge the world and when the flood actually occurred.
1: What do you think about the the long lifespans? You know, when you see people living nine hundred and fifty years, uh, and then that general you know, that decreases down. What are your thoughts about that part in Genesis?
0: Um, what are your thoughts? Well, you got any?
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I I think that. Um, it's, I've I've always wrestled with okay what what does that does that mean that they like suddenly like reached a certain age of like thirty five physically and then they stayed that I wonder what aging looked like for them yeah. over that time period so. um, but I, I don't I don't have any problem with it. I'm like that's what it says that's that's how long they yeah live. Who,
0: who knows like if just the the sin corrupting the corrupting the world makes us live lesser and lesser and lesser when like in the, yeah. because they had purity you know it's interesting I was watching this podcast not this podcast I was watching this um, series on Netflix called called explained it's like the mind explained or history explained yeah um it's by Vox and um and one of the things they did was was immortality. And it showed how in the sixties where people started freezing themselves upon death and until they could figure out how to revive. Like I think Walt Disney did that. Really? Um, but what's so interesting is there, they say that when uh, upon conception cells immediately begin to divide mm-hmm. and when they do divide, they're damaged. Yeah. But the body is able to, to heal themselves. Uh-huh. It, but the, the person on the, on the series said it's almost like death is programmed into our DNA. And I'm like, that sounds really biblical <laughs> from right. Genesis three. It's so like, I was like, yeah. um, but then they say what happens is, is, um, till about 30, um, you're able to repair those cells as they divide. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, as they're damaged and they're dividing, you can repair them. But after 30, you basically stop your ability to, to do that. And then your cells are only going to divide themselves about 50 times over your lifespan. And so we're, we're going to die, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think that it's the filthy. big thing is you no, know, like it's appointed once for man to live and, wants for man die. to die and, and God breathed life into dirt, mm-hmm. you know? And, um and so whatever your theology is on creation of God, did there not like one fact is if we die and we lay on the ground, like one day our bodies will decay and we'll return <laughs> <laughs> to the earth. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks Lion King. Yeah. Um, <laughs> circle of life. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't know about the, the life expectancies as, as far as it, it makes sense to me that like, the longer sin is in the world, the more damaged our bodies come and the less mm-hmm. long we'll be able to live. But I, I don't know. Yeah. So yeah. good question. Good question. So another question is, is who are the Nephilim? Mm-hmm. You got any thoughts on that one?
1: Um, that's a great question. Um, I'll, I'll defer to you. on the-
0: <laughs> Well, um, some people say they're the, the offspring of the angels impregnating the women. And so if, if that's the, the view of the sons of God that like they had offspring, those offspring are the Nephilim. Mm -hmm. Um, Other people said they're, they're angelic beings who come in human form. And then some people say they're just giants. They're really big people who existed before um, angels hooked up with women and they existed after angels hooked up with women and they have nothing to do with being their offspring. Mm Mm-hmm. And so what's interesting is if you want to geek out on this, you want to watch a really interesting video, there's a 16 minute video on YouTube. Um, If you just type in, were the sons of God fallen angels in Genesis six, there's going to be a video that comes up from a guy named Dr. Gentry. Mm -hmm. He is one of the most brilliant men.
1: Was he one of your professors?
0: I never took him, but he was a professor at my seminary, Yeah, but no joke. He's fluent in like 11 languages. Uh And I think four of them don't exist anymore. Yeah. And, and uh, what's crazy is he could he could be at any university system in the world. He's retired and guess where he moved to? Abington, Virginia. Uh, Lives right up the road from us. Well, there you go. But in the video, like, he's, like I said, he's one of the most brilliant people. Yeah.
1: I watched this one okay. once upon a time. Yeah, <laughs> one
0: of the most brilliant people I've ever met in my life. Um, he would say the sons of God are angelic beings mm-hmm. who came to Earth and had sexual relationships with human women. But then he would say the Nephilim were these incredible Kings who people thought must be half human and half divine Mm -hmm. because look at the way these Kings are leading and the way they're conquering. And so, but they, but they're at the end of the day, they're just, they're just human Kings. that are just really good at being Kings. Mm. And the, the point is that they, they weren't the offspring of humans and angels. Mm. They existed before angels and women hooked up and they existed after, and there's really no connection to them. And so, but like I said, he's way smarter than both of us combined. Mm. multiplied by 10 mm-hmm. and that's where he lands. But who knows? Right. So right, right, right. the book of Genesis is what it's got a lot of weird it's stuff. It's Got it. a lot of weird stuff <laughs> in it. Yeah. So the increasing corruption leads to the flood where uh, God begins with a, a fresh slate, but the corruptions in the heart. Yeah. So, so at the end of the day, like our nature doesn't change. Um, yeah. so some of the, some questions people have is like, did the flood really happen? Um, Jesus in Luke seventeen twenty six talks of the flood as being an actual event, and mm-hmm. so it, w- it seems like Jesus would say, "Yes, mm-hmm. the flood is real." Um, one of Jesus's closest friends, Peter, yeah. talks about the flood as an actual event in Second Peter two five. Um, so I would say, like, I want to land on the flood actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting is most most like world religions and 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 even like other account for a flood. Like they're, they're like something happened that other people are trying to make sense of. Yes. Um, and so the question that simple life is like, well, was the glow, was the flood global or local? Mm -hmm. And so I would say it was big enough to cover as far as humanity had spread, Mm -hmm. but it could have been small enough to only cover as far as humanity had spread, um, which would still be massive. Like it would still be a massive flood covering the known world at that time. So, so, so who knows, how big it was. But yeah. what's interesting is um, we, we get to live in one of the most beautiful places in the world in East Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And if you travel over the mountain to Hampton, there's this camp Doe River Gorge. Mm-hmm. You hop on the train, old Tweetsie rail and you go up it mm-hmm. and you start going up towards Boone, um, North Carolina. And on the mountain, there's a section where it's wavy. The,
1: you in- can see the, the, and, patterns of rock. Yeah. Like, Twisted there's.
0: And so geologists have come from afar to survey this interview. And they said, the only thing that could account for the rocks doing this would be a global flood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you're like, that's like, it's great. So, so you're like, was it global? Was it not? It's like, it looks like there's a flood that impacted East Tennessee. So who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, right. but we know it had to be big enough to cover all of known humanity, which would have been massive. Yeah. But I, yeah. I, I tend to lean towards it being a, Global flood, but yeah. I, I could be wrong. Well,
1: and, and I think too, when you read about it, when when you're reading Genesis, especially if maybe you've grown up in church or you've grown up around uh, Christianity, there's sometimes people do some weird things with kids and like reading these stories and and kind of presenting them as uh, little happy cartoony things and look at all the animals and you t- and you actually you miss the real story. You miss what, like the significance mm-hmm. of the fall. That was the worst day in human history. And then and then you get and you need to feel that when you read that. And then you get to the flood and it's like it's not a kid's story. I mean it's a it's an, it's people were wiped out. And it just and it, it needs to take us there into that, like this is how serious sin is. This is this real the real problem of humanity. And so um, so I think that's important if you've grown up around church and you you kind of it can take the edge. And the depth out of the of what you're actually reading about happening, and so I think you I want to encourage you guys as you're reading those moments in Genesis to let it take you there, and, and that's what that's what you, God wants you to see in that part of the story.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's a great. As you said that, I think, um, I th- I think you're onto something because when I when I talk to people who aren't Christians. Um, and we, we get into the Bible like a lot of times, like how could you worship a God who would flood the whole earth? When you get to Exodus, how could you worship a God who would take the firstborn son? Mm -hmm. When you get to Joshua, how could you worship a God who would wipe out a nation with, with women and children? And so, I mean, like I think the, so the, the non-Christian reader, when they're coming to the Bible, they're not reading this and thinking two animals marching side by side up to the ark. And it's like this cool, throw a picture on a children's ministry wall. They're, they're, the average person reading this that's not a Christian is like this is dark, and and yeah. so if we grew up in church, we can miss right. the weight of that. And yeah. so, um, and he, so, and
1: yeah, and I, I think too is well, keep going into that. No, no, yeah. I, just, I
0: just I think as you said that I was reminded of those conversations, uh-huh. and just thinking through like, man, that weight should be felt, mm-hmm. and um, and the fact that non Christians are feeling that weight is good. Like mm-hmm. may, maybe is. maybe that's maybe the, and so maybe we're so bent on trying to fit it into our church upbringing that we, that we missed the opportunity to bridge that gap. <laughs> to feel that. And, yeah, and it's
1: the same even when, he, when, he, when um, you read the creation accounts and God says, it was good, it was good, it was good. And then he gets to the very end he says, it was very good. And we see both the goodness of God, and that's the overall setting of everything, but then you see the wrath of God, mm-hmm. and you see those, these dark moments, and, and you need, you need both of those. Um, but I think you said it in the context of God's goodness he always does what is good right and perfect but then here here's here's where his wrath comes into play and we have to understand that as the shadows of Jesus you know really start coming out
0: yeah yeah and so yeah, I think that's one of the big things is people think like Old Testament God wrathful New Testament God loving mm-hmm. God's the same mm-hmm. in both and so with that being said people are like well if the flu- if the flood wouldn't change anything because sin is this heart condition then why would God do it that, that seems messed up. Yeah. If he's like, I know this won't fix anything. I'm still going to do it. Yeah. Um, well, first, I think it's important to remember that they had 120 years to repent. So there's 120 years of of patience, and so uh, so I think like the the character of God is a patient God. Yeah. So there, so like, and so like, we see His kindness in that. Um, but I think what happens here is it drives home the point that to deal with the depth of our sin. God would have to take even more drastic measures, and so when we get to the cross and think like this seems harsh, like why would God take the life of His one and only Son? Well, if we look at it against the backdrop of this not fixing the depth of the issue, realize there's no other way. Um, so, so I think it's Pavloving us to understand the cross. It's almost like when you, you ring the bell, the dog starts, it's, it's like you're ready for Yeah, It's, it's yeah. getting us ready for something. So when the cross happens, instead of our mindset <coughs> being
1: why it's like, uh-huh. there
0: was no other way.
1: Yeah. And yeah. um, it's, it's, I think it's, it's meant to help us, um, you know, to read the Bible with humility to see he is our creator. He's the creator. And then we've, re- we've, we have rebelled, we've fallen. And there are these, there's this consequence for sin. And, and it's the, the, Rough thing is within our human nature, there's this insidious thing in us that just says, I just, I don't want to believe in sin. <laughs> I, was, yeah. I was talking to a guy in a coffee shop one time about faith and everything, not a believer, but he'd been up around church. He's like, well, you know, yeah, I talk about my problem, uh, you know, having a pro- that sin being my big problem. Well, I just don't believe in it. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's very convenient, but it's not reality. Yeah. And and I want you to know reality. God is good, but our sin is this big issue that he's dealing with. It's got to be dealt with.
0: Yeah. So after the flood, chapters 10 through 11, um, Noah's sons begin to populate the earth. Um, they're fruitful and multiplying, and they turn into nations. And so in chapter 11, verse 1, we read about the, the land of, of Shinar. And so I think it's really interesting like to, to underline that, to take note of it, because we see it again in the book of Daniel. Mm-hmm. And so, so in Genesis, the land of Shinar is Babel. In mm-hmm. um, Daniel, it's Babylon. Mm-hmm. And we see that recur again. In Revelation. Revelation. And so, um, so so, I think it's just like, so this area is, is modern day Baghdad. Um, what they're doing is they're trying to build a new Eden without God in it. They're not just building a tower, they're building a city. And it's like they're trying to build a new Eden without God in it. A place where people could do what they want, when they want, with whoever they want, with no consideration of God's design. Yeah, And so humanity was, was basically becoming united in a wicked defiance towards God. And so in response, God scatters the people, confuses their language. Mm-hmm. And um, any any thoughts on that yeah. before we well, jump into the shadows?
1: Yeah, I think the, the themes that you see through Scripture when um, when God put the first man and woman in the garden, there, his desire was for them to flourish and to create civilization. It wasn't just for them to hang out you know, in a jungle. Sometimes, yeah. When I was a little kid, I thought that was the point. They were just going to get to hang out in the jungle forever, and then they messed that up. But really what the plan was was for a civilization mm-hmm. to emerge and to thrive on the earth, and that's what sin disrupted. And so that now we had uh, a city without God and a civilization without God that was going to begin to develop and spread on the earth. But we see that, like, the big story, the meta narrative is – He's going to make all things new, and that renews civilization across the earth. That's where this whole thing is going. And so, this, though, highlights mankind trying to build its own civilization apart from God.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah, and so, um, in the first 11 chapters, yeah. we see just three episodes of fallenness. We, we see the fall in Genesis 3, we see the flood. And we see the Tower of Babel, which are all showing us that things in the world are growing progressively worse. And that really sets us up for for God to step in and say, here's how I'm going to fix it. But before we we jump into the shadows of Jesus, I I love this. Um, A couple of years ago, someone had me draw four, is it concentric circles where they're larger and larger. And um, they said in the first one, just write down God. The second one, write down self. The third one, write down um, people. And the fourth one, write down creation. And they said, they said just think about like, when did God become more than a word to you? And it's this relationship. And they said like, you know, what are some things you're good at? And write, write those things down about yourself. Like just where God's gifted you. And what are some relationships that are just really life-giving for you? People that, that have, that are, you enjoy being around. And then think about a time in creation where you found yourself just in awe and write that down. So think about these, these, these relationships. And then um, what you see is these relationships, those four primary relationships are present at the beginning of Genesis. There's Mm -hmm. a relationship with God. Yeah. He's the creator for the creation. There's a relationship with self. We were created not to feel shame, but to, to be, to be whole and to, mm-hmm. we were good. Um, there's relationship with others. You know, it's not good that we should be alone. Mm-hmm. So before sin enters the world, God looks at Adam and is like, it's not good for you to be alone. So he creates relationship um, and then they're called to, to have dominion over creation to, to till the soil, to care for it, to guard it, to, to create. Mm -hmm. Um, but sin shatters all four of those relationships. Mm -hmm. Like we're now separated from God. We now experience things like shame and deterioration and like, and we work from the sweat of our brow and there's pain in childbirth and, and all of a sudden like Cain and Abel, there's murder, there's broken relationships. And then Creation, like instead of instead of cultivating it, we're we're using it in defiance to God, and mm-hmm. and so so it's kind of like, man, things aren't right. Mm-hmm. How is God going to fix it? Mm-hmm. So we'll start to see that unfold.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's go in. You want to go into? Let's let's close out the shadows, shadows of Jesus.
0: So um, so a couple of shadows of Jesus. One, and I think this is the biggest one. Jesus is the better Adam, mm-hmm. and that's where we get to Romans five. Romans Mm -hmm. six as, as one person brought sin into the world, one person takes it away. Yeah. Um, where Adam is tempted by Satan and fails. One of the first things we see Jesus do is going out into the wilderness for 40 days. He's tempted by Satan and he succeeds. Yeah. Um, where Adam's life counts towards ours. Mm-hmm. Jesus's perfect life counts towards ours. Yeah. Where Adam's rebellion counts towards us, Jesus' obedience counts towards it's us. huge.
1: And, I, and some people will hear, they'll say, oh, so Adam messed up, and, and, and so that means it's messed up everything for everybody. That just doesn't seem fair. But then it's so beautiful to see Jesus live the perfect life that we should have. And that wouldn't been, be fair either. That, yeah, you know. <laughs> that's um, not fair. A, and that, but that's how God's designed the yeah. universe to work, that Adam was the representative of humanity at that point. But then... Jesus is the better Adam, yeah.
0: and I tell people the the thing is 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 God knew that we would have made the exact same decision Adam made if we were in His shoes, mm-hmm. and so when we look at that, and see that it's not fair. The truth is, like we would have made the same decision that He made if we were in His shoes, and so we'd just we'd be just as guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so another yeah. one is um, I love this. He's the better clothes, where where they try to clothe themselves in fig leaves, and mm-hmm. God clothes them in animal skin. We see something dying. In their place to cover their shame, yeah. Jesus closes in His righteousness. But He doesn't cover our shame; He takes our sin away mm-hmm. by dying in our place yeah. on the cross. And so He's a he's better close.
1: Yeah, yeah. And uh, and then you see some uh, th- this place uh, they call the Proto Evangelion, where it's prophesying that the that evil will have an offspring seed that will crush the head of the serpent. And which I love that. Yeah.
0: Have you ever seen that picture where it's, it's Mary and Eve together and, uh -uh. and oh man, it's beautiful. And so it's Mary pregnant and then it's Eve embracing her. And then like, there's a serpent underneath. It's really good to to find it. Okay. All right. Um, another thing is, is so he's, he's, he's the, he's the offspring, you know, that's Mm going to crush the serpent. Um, as you just said, he's the better blood. You know where where Abel dies because he's murdered from Cain. His blood cries out for Cain's condemnation. Jesus's blood cries out for our
1: mm-hmm. salvation. Yeah, wow, that's good. That's good. Uh, I think another one the end there when you think about the flood and the. Have the you rain. read
0: the Jesus Storybook Bible? Yes, yes. Okay. So
1: all you parents out there, the Jesus Storybook Bible. They do this with every story in the Old Testament. They show out points to Jesus. And I think that might have been where I first saw heard heard this idea that um, you know the, the rainbow is like a warrior's bow, yeah. And instead it's like of
0: God's hanging it up in the sky, yeah.
1: Instead of being pointed down at the earth, you know, as if an arrow of, of wrath is going to fly, that He's hanging up His bow uh, in the sky, and that there's His wrath has been turned.
0: Yeah. And next yeah. time, the, the arrow will now be the arrow be aimed towards yeah. heaven, towards mm-hmm. His Son. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, another one is. Jesus is the better Tower of Babel. Um, where the Tower of Babel signified human striving to get to heaven, Jesus is the true and only way, mm-hmm. which means um, heaven isn't something we can earn from what we can do. It's something we must receive through faith in what Christ has done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's, there's definitely some shadows of Jesus in the first 11 chapters. Anything we missed before we close out?
1: Um, well, I think, um, as you're, as you're reading through the new Testament, again, I keep, I, I've old got Testament. young, I mean, old Testament, I've got young kids. And so I'm always thinking about how does this work in our family as we're, you know, um, walking with them. And we love using the action Bible. You mentioned the Jesus storybook Bible to walk your kids through the Bible this year. The action Bible is a comic book illustration. Great. Um, they'll just jump right in, um, to help your kids connect with the Bible. And then there's also the Kingstone Bible, which is like it's a huge collection of the the Bible in comic book form, and those have been really good for our family to read through the Bible together, connect. But it's really been good for me because when you see it depicted, it's it it, these are stories, you know, so much of the Old Testament. You see how they can be depicted, and it can help you understand and and feel, you know, what God would really want you to feel through each of those narratives. So some extra things that would be helpful. Awesome,
0: yeah. Um, my Bible is full of underlining and notes and different things. So I, I've got questions and statements written down throughout scripture, but um, just, it's a journey. And, um, the beautiful thing is, is you're not supposed to figure it all out the first time through it's, it's inviting us to come back to it again and again and again, to read it in community with other people like we're doing now. And so, um, if you have an interest in being a guest with us on the podcast, like, Hey, I'm following along. I'd love to throw some questions out grab me or bill on a Sunday um, and say, Hey, I want to come onto the podcast and and we'll get you scheduled. We'd love (laughs) for you to come hang out with us. (laughs) But um, yeah, we're looking forward to this being a journey for a whole church. But next week um, we'll jump into the the second half of Genesis, starting chapter 12, going all the way to Egypt. See you guys next week.